0: Well, hello out there. My name is Marcus, and uh, thanks for tuning in to the very first episode of a new horror media podcast called All of Them Witches. For those who don't know the reference, All of Them Witches is something that is shown as a phrase during the movie Rosemary's Baby. When I first saw that film, you know, a lot of things stood out about it to me, sort of stuck in my head as memorable all these years later. But that phrase, all of them witches, really spoke to me. You know, and it comes at a kind of crucial time in the film, but also just that phrase itself was really enigmatic and interesting to me. So I always like using that phrase if I have an opportunity to, which is not very often, as you might guess. But I was thinking about making a horror podcast and what would you name such a thing? And that was like the immediate thing that jumped to my head is that phrase. So that's what we're going with. So I guess I should explain why I decided to start this whole podcast. And it's pretty simple. I mean, I have loved horror, horror movies, horror video games, books, etc. Basically forever. And, you know, I listen to a bunch of horror podcasts myself. And it's always a good time, you know, to hear people's enjoyment of the medium, seeing what really excites them, what they love, you know, what's coming out, what's, you know, been out there before, but was sort of like overlooked. And a lot of that's all good, but for a lot of podcasts, I really don't agree with their opinions. Not like there's anything wrong with that. I still listen, I still enjoy hearing impassioned discussions about films and hearing people love stuff. Just in my case, for whatever reason my tastes just don't align with a lot of the people's tastes that are out there already speaking and have popular podcasts so i decided well why not make my own there is nothing stopping me i you know i've already worked on podcast editing uh with pixel pixel and um Ann lee so i decided sure i could do something my own you know i don't expect to get much attention particularly that's not my goal you know i have a job i'm happy with it i don't need to have Um, This sort of be my job or anything like that. So I don't have the stress involved in all that business. I'm just here because I love horror and I want to talk about it. And if anyone wants to listen, that's, you know, wonderful and beautiful and thank you. But if not, I understand because horror is definitely not everybody's cup of tea. My goal with this show is basically, like I said, kind of get my voice out there, my opinions, and share films that I love, really, or films that I don't. You know, it's kind of going to become... And I have a feeling it's going to become something more of just sort of like a audio log of the films that I'm watching. Which means that, you know, I don't always watch amazing things. I watch a lot of trash. And sometimes I don't like it. You know, sometimes it's very boring. But how do I know if a film is good or not until I watch it? So my goal will be, of course, focus on horror media. Uh, primarily movies because it's very easy for me to just pop in a movie and watch it. Uh, but I also play horror video games, of course, and occasionally I read horror books, though I have a hard time often finding books that I really enjoy and want to continue reading, outside of some of the you know obvious uh, Stephen King works that are always so popular with people to this day. So you know maybe not so much on that end of stuff, but if something comes up, absolutely, I'd love to share it in this format. I think it's uh, fair to expect that I may spoil films at points, Um, in discussions, and you know, I understand that that's kind of something certain people don't like, and they will be very upset if they get spoiled, but for the most part, um, since I watch primarily a lot of movies that are decades old, I don't know that the stress is quite the same as it would be if I were like to spoil a 2019 film in 2019. I could see that being a problem. Maybe I wouldn't spoil stuff in those cases, but uh, for a lot of things, I don't see a huge problem with spoilers for the most part because it's to me it's it's not like the movie is worthless if you know a secret about it or something unless the movie is really actually not good at all and the only redeeming factor is the, you know, a twist or something at the very end that's like, wow, I didn't expect that and if that's all the movie has going for it I'm not going to say that that's worth it but I don't know you know i don't i don't personally have this problem with spoilers but i understand people do and that's totally valid and awesome that you you know you want to have that totally pure film experience so um i guess just be aware um and i'll mention it if i'm going to talk about a spoiler thing to you know just skip over a bit of um the audio until hopefully i'm done spoiling it and then you can get back in and enjoy whatever else i have to say <laughs> so i guess for this sort of intro-y episode i should go over a bit of uh, me and my horror background um, you know, I said, I mentioned I've basically been watching horror forever, but I think sort of get into like what horror I grew up with and what I really like or dislike in the genre. So um, my first introduction to horror was really sort of uh, classical in a sense, movies that people would consider classics today, I think, which would be stuff like, okay, things from Alfred Hitchcock, The Birds, Psycho. You know, all of that business, but also other films, like from Stanley Kubrick, most notably The Shining. And things like those films really impacted me at a young age. Um, when I got to see things like The Exorcist, also at a young age, like 13, which to me, I don't know, that movie may have been a little much for a 13-year-old. But I did love The Exorcist, and it definitely stuck with me. Um Around that whole time when I was sort of getting more involved in horror, you know, I was trying to check off my list of the obvious films that people watch or have mentioned as being good. Uh, I watched Rosemary's Baby, and at the time, that was probably one of my favorite horror films. And for a long time to come, really, you know, this podcast is named for something in Rosemary's Baby. Over time, I don't know that I feel quite the same way about it. Either way, you know, I still think about it from time to time as a film that is definitely high on my list even though it may no longer be in sort of my top 10 horror uh, genre films. So, you know, nothing wrong with that either because tastes change over time. I, as a teenager, got into zombie films. There is certainly no lack of zombie films at any point in time. And then I got over it because it was like too much zombies for a while. Um, Got into Dario Argento, Italian horror and really loved that uh, it really spoke to me my sensibilities I love color I love visual style and stuff like Suspiria kind of blew my mind I did some sort of school project on Suspiria you know so I was like that weird kid because no one else was doing anything like that but <laughs> it was fun um I loved that stuff and I would watch basically anything I could get my hands on from Italian cinema for a while And then I kind of got over that, you know, in waves, you know, I go, it's like I stopped loving it. It just sort of went into other things aside from giallo films and, you know, around college sort of when I was getting out of that uh, phase of my horror watching and sort of just got into kind of extreme films, you know, that kind of, it was a little bit later, you know, Saw had already come out, sequels had already come out at that point for me, but I kind of tried to get into that stuff get into that, be a gore hound as someone has called it at some point in time. But I didn't, I didn't really like that. I still don't really care. Um, I can see a gory film, but it's not like I'm super hyped about it. Um, the most excitement I'll get from a gore film is really just seeing, uh, the artistry of it, especially when it's practical effects, seeing, you know, wow, I wonder how they did that, how they make that look so good, you know, how did they achieve this effect and I think that's very cool and very, you know, interesting, especially if you watch documentaries or see other things about people who have created those types of effects in films and how they can do that and the tricks that they employ. It's all very interesting to me. But yeah, I never really got into gore. It's like, yeah, I want to see, you know, someone's head blow up type of thing. It's not my interest, but I also don't have a problem with it. I'm not squeamish. I'm not going to get, like, sick if I watch it. And then, you know, from there on, I kind of just sort of went in a million directions trying to see what I liked. And I can't, that's kind of still where I am, just sort of watching movies here and there uh, that I haven't seen before. I usually do not rewatch a film unless I'm watching it with a friend. So I always am trying to catch new uh, movies. But by new, I mean new to me, not new as in new in theaters. The vast majority of my time is spent watching movies from, you know, the 90s or prior. Though, very lately, I've tried to get more into the 2000s, the 2010s, because there are some very good films from, you know, not that long ago. And I have ignored them. You know, for so long, I had this sort of weird opinion that new horror is terrible, and it's never worth watching, and all it is is remakes, or, you know, stuff of that nature. Um... And so I never really watched a lot of films that were modern contemporary at the time that I was, you know, watching other things. But I have started to add them into my rotation thanks to being subscribed to like Shudder and stuff, which has a lot of more recent films. I'll end up watching some. And, you know, sometimes they're really cool. So I, I should have not uh, been so biased against more recent films. And I'm hopefully trying to make up for that now. Yeah, overall, I'm just watching films and trying to find stuff that's new to me. I've seen a lot of the classics or a lot of the known horror films, but there are still many I haven't seen. Like, for example, for whatever reason, I had never seen the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre until this year. And that's like a massive thing. How could you have not seen that film? Well, for whatever reason, I hadn't. I'd seen the remake, but the original had just sort of escaped me. And when I finally saw it, I was like, wow this is an incredible film and I wish I hadn't waited so darn long to finally, you know, check it out for myself. I think a lot of those films are probably, you know, there's not that much left on my list in that style from a very well-known horror film that I have not seen, but they're definitely still out there. You know, I was just thinking about it yesterday. I have not seen the original Silent Night, Deadly Night. So, you know, there's still stuff that I just, for whatever reason, have not gotten around to yet. Um, But then there's also just so many films that are like left behind in a sense, stuff that is not talked about very much or only in very small circles. And that's where a lot of my attention is now. I'm just like, you know, what about these films? And so, you know, I'm really into stuff like the um, DVD and Blu-ray publisher Vinegar Syndrome because they put out a lot of movies that I had not even heard of until you know, they post them, and so that's a pretty big shock to me as one who felt like I've been in horror for, you know, I don't know, into it over 20 years now, and there are still times where there are movies that I don't know about, and that's exciting. A lot of the times I don't know about them because they end up not being that great, but that's not always the case, and I appreciate that finding something new to me that is amazing, and that could be amazing as like in Texas Chainsaw Massacre, where it's a really extremely good disturbing film or it could be for my case amazing in that it is utterly ridiculous and silly for a horror film and that can be great too and its own you know it's got its own merits they're both valid and cool and worth it for me personally so that's kind of me Um, i'm happy with serious horror films i'm you know also fine with goofy horror films either intentionally or unintentionally so Anything really, you know, musical horror film I'm cool with. Basically, I don't try to, like, limit myself to one specific genre in horror. Or, you know, ignore a specific genre. If a zombie film comes out now, I'll watch it. I'm not gonna be, you know, pissed about it. Simply put, I'm a fan of horror. And I'm happy to be one. And that's all there is to it. So, with all that said, let's dig into my discussion slash review slash whatever of the 1987 film Berserker, The Nordic Curse. Berserker is a film I'd never heard of before until Vinegar Syndrome put it out. Like I kind of mentioned, I love Vinegar Syndrome. And a lot of people have been saying that this was like kind of one of their favorite horror releases from them this year. So I was like, what is Berserker? Why do I keep hearing about it? So I decided to, you know, watch it. So this film opens and i was like immediately into it because the opening scene first thing you see basically is this shirtless muscular man with a bear head thing going on and he's like roaring and it's very quick kind of scene it's sort of sudden you don't expect that you walk into the movie and you're like what am i seeing right now close ups on the like sort of bear face um muzzle And, like, blood and teeth and that whole thing. And you're like, okay, so, like, this is probably the baddie. Anyway, they quickly, you know, cut away from that. And then you're, like, seeing suddenly, oh, it's a cast of this old woman and this old man camping and having a little sweet time. You know, saying how much they love each other and blah, 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 you know. And then immediately they are mauled by something. You get a lot of point-of-view shots in this film, so you don't really see what is attacking them, per se. But you do see them getting scratched and bloodied and ultimately dying. So, goodbye, old couple. And then we come in on this other cast of characters, which is these sort of, uh, I guess, college-age people. And they're just having a ball. You know, you see these people, it looks like they're mostly coupled up with each other. Uh, but not exclusively, there seems to be this one, uh, super bro guy who either broke up with his girlfriend or like wants to be with this one girl, but she's not having it. She doesn't even want to go, but she ends up going. Cause why not? It's like a free camping trip. So there are, you know, these teens and I think there's like six of them and they all are ready to sort of go on their camping trip. They're just having fun. They're drinking and driving, you know, teen stuff. They meet up with a cop who like pulls them over because he saw them throwing beer cans out of the window. But he lets them go with a warning because they're kids. So they all get to the Rainbow Valley campsite and they basically start immediately having fun. There's a bit of a silly montage where they're sort of running around and frolicking, playing on their Kawasaki bikes shirtless, uh, going to the river and swimming. It's like the perfect vacation for them. And there's nothing to sort of suggest that the terrors that are about to befall them. Except for the fact that the uh, bro dude, Josh, actually finds the previous campers' stuff and just sort of hides it away rather than wondering where they went. The previous campers being the dead couple. So once it's nighttime, they start doing their scary story bit. And this sort of bookworm guy, Larry... He's reading from a book about Rainbow Valley history, and apparently there's a lot of, like, Viking lineage there. And so he's reading about this story about the history of the Berserker, which in the movie they're sort of referencing it as these uh, warriors that Vikings would bring with them and send them out first when they're sort of going into battle. But as opposed to sort of just, like, uh, regular Vikings, there are these sort of drugged-up guys who wear bear headdress things and are basically drugged to go crazy and kill the enemy. As part of this, they sometimes end up eating the humans and this sort of makes them go crazy for real and so they just are this sort of ball of rage that is extremely dangerous. And I wasn't sure if this was a real thing but I looked it up and yes there is a lot of Viking lore about these berserkers. And apparently, if Wikipedia is correct, who knows, right? But apparently, the berserker, the Viking tradition, was sort of the basis for the English word berserk. So I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. And kind of creepy, but in something that I think is supposed to be unique to the film, the berserkers apparently... Um, When they die, they don't really die. Their soul travels to their next living relative. And so they will become possessed. And so that sort of berserker tradition of killing and eating people will live on through generations. Kind of like a werewolf thing, except familial. So after this lore is explained, people start dying. As you might expect and these teens are dying just because they are out in the woods and they cannot see like two feet in front of them and get lost very easily you know i don't know if i were camping if i would be wandering out all over the place in the middle of the night but they do for example this one character christy just goes out to pee and i don't know how far she walked but her coming back takes for she's like lost she can't find her way These two other teens come out. They meet her on the way because they're going out to have sex, of course. And so they, you know, they proceed further out. She, the pee girl comes back, gets mauled, but no one can hear her screaming. So how far away was she? Because now the sex teens are somewhere else. They can't hear her. Neither can the people still in the cabin. So that was a very long walk just to go to, you know, squat in some bushes. Either way. The film continues, people die, and you're left wondering, okay, is this the Berserker? Is this, like, just a bear? Is there something else going on? Like, if it's a Berserker, who is the Berserker? Because there's this whole mention that they're possessing someone, a relative. And you do kind of get an understanding and an explanation for that, but it's only at the very end. What I appreciate about this film is that for the most part, except for kind of one fight scene... Um, it's not very campy or goofy intentionally or otherwise. And I think that's a you know a good thing because a lot of films in this era, especially in the late 80s, were at a turning point and it was kind of like okay we're not no one's taking horror seriously anymore. so we're kind of starting to get into the funny aspect of it or you're trying to make a serious horror film but you have no money and you have no like respectable actors. So you're, you're trying your best, but they're, you know, the first job or whatever, and they don't necessarily know how to act very well. Um, I wouldn't say it's a case here. I think it's, you know, a pretty straight-laced film. And it's not particularly silly, except for, like I said, sort of a fight scene at one point, And the soundtrack is sometimes a little bit funny. Like, there's a song when they're getting there and having their happy montage at the uh, cabin that's apparently called Cool Dude... And that song has lyrics that are very mundane and very 80s. So <laughs> there are some funny bits, but overall it's not a goofy film. So I appreciate that. And its I think that's pretty surprising that it's effective at all because apparently this film was shot in just two weeks. That's pretty quick uh, for any film. Horror films are known to sort of be created in these really tight constraints, but I thought that a little bit surprising. I also think it's interesting in a... Something that is a bit of a spoiler, so plug your ears for a second, that there is not just a final girl, there is kind of a final group. You don't usually see where multiple people survive. At most, it's like two. Um, so I was I was like, oh, I didn't realize that these people were all going to live. Not everyone, of course, but more than I expected. So with all that said, I don't think this is a film that everyone needs to see, like every horror film like, needs to go out and get it right now, because... While it is, you know, a decent horror film, it's not cheesy, uh, too cheesy. It's not too hideous to watch in the sense that it's just like grating on your ears terrible. But it's also not especially standout in any way. It's just another horror film with teenagers in a campground getting killed off. I mean, that's not a bad thing. You know, some people love that and I think it's fine and I had fun watching it, but I wouldn't recommend it because I don't think it's going to like light your hair on fire or like amazingly good film or anything. If you just want to watch it, why not? It's cool. Um, The Vinegar Syndrome version specifically has um, extra features, including uh, commentary from people who are on the Hysteria Continues podcast, which I very much enjoy. So I think that's great. I love hearing people on my favorite podcasts do commentary tracks. So, all in all, it's a fine release. If you want to see it, go ahead. All right. So, that is it for this inaugural episode of All of Them Witches. Because it is the first episode, my first time trying to do um a solo podcast, I have no idea as to what works, what doesn't work. You know, if I talk too long sort of just about the plot points, not enough, like I don't know at all. So, if anyone is listening, if you could provide some feedback from me, that would be much appreciated. Um, just feedback on what you think from this initial episode is a positive, what you might want to hear more of, what you might like me to cut back on. And that would be great. So thank you for listening, and I hope to have another episode up within the next few weeks. See you then.